Chapter Twenty of Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty. Mother Theodore sat in her parlor, the front of her habit still damp from the wet clothes of the girls she had brought upstairs and turned over to Sister Laurent. Every light in the room was burning. Not a shadow lurked anywhere except on Mother's face under the coif. Two weeks ago she had sat in the very chair she occupied now, watching for this same door to open, and she had heard the whistle of the train as it pulled into Marysville, and insisted to herself that it boded nothing ill for St. Aurelian's. Strange, her apprehension that day, and quite unreasoning. Unreasoning also her dread of the coming moment when the door would open again. Scarcely an hour ago, the end of that terrible interval out in the dark and rain had come about. Only a few minutes since the sheriff had sat with her here and told her that all the trouble was over. The fellow had confessed everything, once they had him, Jarvis had said, stealing the habit from the drying yard, his mistaken identification of Helen as Trillium out by Pirate Cove, his belief that Trillium had known him, and his resulting determination to eliminate her his theft of Trillium's letter, so that he knew also of her mother's whereabouts, even the churn man's murder. Everything tied up neatly in the sheriff's notebook. And he wants to see you, Jarvis had said. I don't know why. There's no reason in the world why you should grant him the slightest consideration. Mother had thought it over, and then said quietly to her old friend, I'll see him, Jarvis. What I begin, I'd like to finish. Perhaps he feels the same. Well, just as you please, Emmy, he had replied. And now the door was slowly opening, just as it had opened on the other day, except that instead of Sister Osmond's politely formal presence, there were Sheriff Thatcher and Pete moving grimly into the doorway behind the visitor. He came into the room, much as he had on the first occasion, his hands apparently clasped behind him, the handcuffs, therefore, were no more visible than if he did not wear them at all. And he smiled, nonchalant. It's good of you to receive me, Mother. Good morning, sir. Mother Theodore remained in her chair, her hands folded under her scapular. It was shocking, quite a little sickening, to see him so undaunted, boasting still the hint of swagger his public found so pleasing. Mother's eyes slipped down his arms. I had thought the sea rather subdued, to say the least, she added. Already doing penance for my sins? He shrugged. Hardly. If your mistakes are written in the stars, what can you do about it? Sir, do you call murder a mistake? That depends upon the circumstances. Let's say I took a gamble, and lost. Fate hit her tongue in her cheek. Mother Theodore stiffened in her chair and the sheriff's scrutiny became sharper. There was nothing, however, to alarm the law. It was simply that Mother had come at last upon the reason for this man's unfathomable determination, his cold attachment that seemed to stem from a philosophizing turn of mind. And the reason was so unbelievable, considering the intelligence of the man, that Mother would have been less aroused if he had suddenly sprung up wearing horns and a tail. "'Surely you do not pretend to be a fatalist, sir.' she asked as sternly as she could. You know there is no such entity as fate. Divine providence is quite another matter. 
whether the question itself delighted him or whether it was rather juvenile glee over having kept his paganism secret mother could not tell if he cared to gloat he might do so with impunity she had accepted him on what she considered good recommendations to all intents and purposes she had approved him and his philosophy oh he had deceived her well that he had deceived also the poetess and the friends who recommended him was a small comfort now upon mother the final decision had rested and her decision had very nearly wrecked the convent's future why quibble over a name mother he asked as if the question amused him whether you call her fate or something else she's an inconsiderate mistress that was why i asked to see you to offer my personal apology not that it's up to me to apologize but i respect you mother and resent the fact that i had to institute this unpleasantness at st aurelian's mother theodore leaned back in her chair she would not let him upset her with his cold stupid arrogance calm to the point of frigidity herself she let a long pause tighten between them before she spoke again you surprise me sir i would expect a man of your brilliance to look for a better law to live by than the law that governs the inorganic world she had startled him she saw and she continued a lump of coal becomes coal because it must be subject to an unchangeable law an object unsupported in the air falls to the ground because it cannot resist the law of gravity that is fatalism sir the blind service of a higher power these things must be what they are act as they do they have no choice but man is free to choose the good or the evil you sir have sought a mental refuge in a lower world to which you do not belong you have brought yourself down from the place of the intellectual master to that of the vegetable servant you you are like a lion seeking refuge in a bird-cage mother checked herself suddenly and her voice fell to a low soft tone i am sorry for you sir but it is too soon to despair even now in the time left to you all the evil of your life may be forgiven the wickedness satisfied for you may yet surrender to the love of a good god she never had liked him yet now when he stood before her still charming handsome wasted because of his strange beliefs the pity she felt was a personal thing acute and poignant the man's smile was gone he even had the humility to address his next words to the carpet you must know mother that you couldn't have prevented any of what has happened it's all too old and rooted in too much that's past a good woman like you might torture herself later i mean because she didn't pray for me in time or do so many of the things that she would consider might have saved me i'll think of what you have said to me mother and if i should feel any spark of repentance you'll know they're very good i've heard about delivering last messages he turned quickly and the sheriff and pete stepped apart in the doorway but as each took an arm he looked back with a semblance of his old amused mockery oh mother will you give my thanks to sister etienne for the use of her habit it was a very bad fit but it served the purpose good-bye mother good-bye mr archer she said it steadily with a nod of farewell he stepped into the gloom of the old hall and the three were instantly gone the sound of their quick departure coming back to her they could not take him away yet the rain had stopped but the road would still be flooded and treacherous in the dark 
They would have to wait for daylight. She slumped suddenly in her chair and laid her hand across her eyes. Down where we said, Chief? Pete asked as they passed through the hall. Yeah. The three disappeared down the stairs, now brightly lighted, where they had crept in darkness after a killer so short a time before. A half hour later, when the pecans behind the guest house were beginning to blacken against the first gray dawn, Sheriff Thatcher looked into Mother Theater's parlor. As he had feared, she was sitting exactly as they had left her when he and Pete took Archer away. All right, Emmy, come on, he said, when she only looked at him, silent. He added, we're going down to the kitchen. Nothing like a cup of hot coffee to put the heart into you. Mother smiled and glanced at the clock. I'll watch you drink your coffee, Jarvis. So it happened that the sheriff and Mother Theodore came into a pleasant homeliness far removed from the terror that had gone before. At the open oven, Franz sat on a high kitchen stool, his wet clothes beginning to look dry. Tor, in his old dressing gown with the sleeves rolled up, was buttering bread, and Sister Laurent pouring coffee. At a small table sat Trillium and Rundy. Trillium sprang up. Her dread almost as acute as in those hours, they all assured her were over. Sheriff, where, where is he? Sheriff Thatcher answered directly. Pete is guarding him. He won't get away. You'll not see him again, any of you. As soon as it's daylight, we'll take him to Marysville. Trillium gave a queer little groan and sank back into her chair. In her old yellow dress, flat-heeled mules on her bare feet, she looked like a little girl, but the expression of lingering fear was one that no little girl should know. "'There's nothing to be afraid of now, dear,' Mother Theodore said in as natural a voice as she could command. The sheriff smiled. Emmy, at least, was coming around. "'We'll get in touch with the New Orleans police as soon as the lines are repaired,' he told Trillium. "'But in the meantime, you know your mother is safe.' "'My mother?' He tried to find out her whereabouts late in the summer, a cat-and-mouse idea of vengeance. It put her on her guard. The sheriff smiled at Trillium. Don't think about it any more. He never did reach her. He can't now. The girl's eyes came to Mother Theodore beside her. Mother, you do understand how it was, don't you? If I could have told anyone, it would have been you. But I didn't know which one he was until tonight. You had company there, Trillium, Franz said unexpectedly. I should have suspected Chris since the night of mustard seed, when I mistakenly mentioned that you were Faith. You two kids look so much alike, you and Helen, and I don't think Chris knew you even as well as I did. So when he saw a girl in a pink veil come out on the lawn, he thought he had the right one. It was such a small incident, I forgot it until tonight. Sister Laurent glanced at the lightning window. Last night, she said, the sun is coming up. Tor heard what I said, too, Franz added, his pixie grin flashing. Tovoltsen nodded sadly. I'm afraid I suspected both you and Chris also, son. Last night when I heard Chris go out of the single room and you follow, well, I tagged along. So you all trooped out while Pete and I were keeping an eagle watch across the hall, the sheriff said wryly. Tor's smile excused him. It was pitch dark, sheriff, 
and cypress floors do not creak. We'd have made it into the tunnel, only the lights were on, said Franz. Sister Atene turned them on just after Archer slipped through. She was sweeping, he finished, and his lips twitched. I should have known from the night of the churn man's murder, Tor said. You see, Chris was not there when I came in. Franz was in the kitchen, and I took it for granted that Chris was with him. But I know now he wasn't. He wasn't, Franz agreed savagely. I can't stomach my own smugness. I let it pass without saying he wasn't with me in the kitchen, because I couldn't think he... Good Lord, he could have murdered a dozen more right under my nose without me smelling it out. Recriminate me also, then, Franz, Tor invited. I, too, clung to a comfortably unidentifiable tramp as our murderer. I was the Judas, Wendy whispered, but no one heard her. He says you spiked his plans several times, though, Sheriff Thatcher put in. On the night of the hunt, for instance, he made an attempt to get into the convent earlier, but you followed him, Franz. He wanted to get down into the tunnel, put on the habit, and come up out of the door under the chapel, just as the girls passed on their way to glories for the muskrat. But when you tailed him, Eric, he had to wait till later, and take a long chance in the tower. And he failed, where he probably wouldn't have failed outside. Do we have to talk about it any more? Trillian whispered. I am so grateful to all of you. I can't even express it. But I... I can't bear to go over it. Mother Theodore's arm was around her, but Trillium shivered. He'd a killed us just for the killin', Randy said in a ghostly wheeze. He'd a upset the boat and drowned us, and all the time knowin' he couldn't get away, cause the devil was riding that man. The dark, it didn't make no difference, nor the water, nor the law coming up behind him, cause he had to kill, that's all. Mother Theodore surprisingly nodded. He had to kill, that was the answer. He didn't know how to stop. His intelligence could not guide him because of his fatalistic belief that all this was written in the stars. As he said, everything determined for him long before he lived. How pitiable. But end it, mother, says Sister Laurent. The sheriff straightened, his eyes on the window, as if the breaking light outside was a signal. He crossed the kitchen with that peculiar, poised step, all heads turning to follow him, because everyone knew where he was going and why. At the door he paused, looking back at each in turn. When he came to Mother Theodore, he nodded faintly. Then he opened the door and was gone. A few minutes later, the sheriff and Pete started silently out of the underground room, between them an equally silent figure, fastened to Pete by handcuffs. So intent were they upon making a noiseless departure that, until the dog growled, they failed to notice him with Sister Atene in the high old arch of the tunnel. They halted, all of them taken aback except for the old sister, who saw nothing out of the ordinary in such a meeting. She was becoming quite used to running across men in the tunnels. Her sweet smile lighted her face. Good morning, Mr. Thatcher, and, oh, it's Mr. Archer, isn't it? There was something so childlike and guileless about the little nun that the sheriff instinctively stepped in front of Archer as if to shield her from evil. Too low for the sister to hear, Crispin said, Don't worry, sheriff. 
but Jarvis Thatcher remained where he was. Taffy sidled closer to Sister Teen, wary, his big muscles tense. "'Will you excuse us, Sister?' the sheriff asked quietly. "'We are in something of a hurry.' "'Oh, certainly. Perhaps another time.' But Taffy was acting so badly now that she caught a handful of his neck fur to try to shake some sense into him. As the men passed, the dog pushed her backward and growled deep in his throat. "'Why, Taffy!' Sister Teen exclaimed. The steps sounded swiftly, going up the stairs. Then the east door closed on the landing. With the sound, the dog's head dropped, and all the animosity left him. The place now was very quiet. It almost seemed that the old-remembered peace had returned to St. Aurelian's. End of chapter 20 End of Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Ann Hubbard